All right, my friends, welcome back to another episode of the Build Show podcast. That's right, my weekly time to get together with you guys and go deep. And I've got a special guest with me today. In fact, a brand new member of the Build Show network team. That's right, the Pioneer Builders, my favorite builder in the Pacific Northwest, Brian Euler. Uh, we're going to be getting into Brian's story, his past, uh, how he became a builder. And what's really interesting about Brian, well, there's several things, but Brian is a second-generation builder, and his company, his building company, does things a little differently uh, or very differently than my company. I think there's going to be a lot to learn today for you guys on the podcast. So with that being said, from the Rockwell Studios in Austin, Texas, let's get going. All right, guys, before we get on with the podcast with Brian Euler, let me give you a quick shout out to our sponsor, Huber Engineered Woods. Now, this is the company that makes both zip system sheathing and Advantech decking. And let me tell you my quick story of how I started using them uh, around the time I started my company in about 2005. My previous experience as a builder prior to starting my company was all production builder work where we used mainly three-quarter inch commodity OSB subfloor. Had a lot of problems uh, in the 90s with that. We always had to sand our seams uh, because we had swelled edges. Uh, we had a lot of issues after the fact, uh, a lot of floor squeaks, <laughs> just a lot of issues with subfloors in general. And I credit a lot of that to using just kind of inexpensive materials. Fast forward to 05 when I started my company, uh, I had an architect I was working with who said, you really should use this really bomber inch and an eighth plywood subfloor. And man, when I used it on the job, I was super impressed, super heavy duty, uh, easy to screw down. But the problem was when it rained on us under construction, I had the same swollen edge issues. Now, I didn't have squeaks on that house, but I did have to spend several hundred dollars sanding all of my seams before putting hardwoods down. And then someone at that point 0607 told me about Huber's Advantech. And I got to tell you, ever since that very first job, 06, I think was the first time I used it. I haven't used anything else since. Amazing product. Now they've got a bunch of flavors, three quarter inch and an eighth. Uh, they've got a new version that has a coating on the top. That's a little, uh, even more bomber. You can write on it. There's just a lot of good stuff from these guys at Huber engineered wood. So big thanks to those guys for sponsoring the podcast. Let's get going. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. I've got with me Brian Euler from Pioneer Builders based in Washington State. Brian, huge, huge welcome to Build Show Network. It is a, a absolute privilege to have you shooting videos on a weekly basis. Uh, and I wanted on this podcast to introduce you to the podcast audience if for some reason they're not watching uh, you on Build Show Network. Encourage them to do that. But I want to spend a little time kind of diving into your background because you were among my friends who is a very rare breed, which is a second generation builder, which I think of as builders that are like automatically 10 years uh, wiser than they should be or 10 years wiser than I was at your age. So give us a little background, Brian. Yeah. And for me, it really does go back to my dad, as you said, second generation builder. And uh, his story is pretty interesting. He was raised as a farmer in North Dakota. Okay. I think he was the second kid out of eight, but he was the first one to go to college. Wow. He received, you know, no 
guidance or direction whatsoever. He just went to Dickinson State and they had their curriculum thing that, you know, the, the course track that you can take, what have you. And he happened to major in, uh, in finance. Okay. So that was his background was finance and accounting. And of course that would have been probably late sixties. He was born in 47. Well, that time was when the Vietnam war was going Mm. and he decided it would be better for him to join the military and maybe have some say in where he ended up at instead of, uh, I can't remember the the term right now. Being enlisted, drafted, Being drafted. There drafted you go. is the word I was looking go. for. So what ended up happening was he uh, he joined the real estate corps with the army, and he was actually in Vietnam managing leases that the U.S. Army had taken out because of the buildings that they were using. Wow. Yeah. What an so interesting job. Really interesting. It's one of those sides of uh, maybe the support services people don't think too much about when it comes to that. Yeah. And, you know, his personality, he was always frugal by nature, just even in comparison to the other kids, you know, my Mm -hmm. aunts and uncles and what have you. So then when he got out and he came back, by that point, my mom and her parents had moved over to, uh, I think, Kitsap County over here in Washington State. Mm -hmm. And my grandpa worked for a bank. So dad was supposed to have a job there, but there was no job there. So he had to go out and try to find work. And uh, our economy was pretty rough during that time. It it was not an easy time. That is for sure. No. So he uh, ended up hearing about a general contractor who needed a comptroller. So that's where he started getting into the construction side is he was basically an accountant for a company. But he ended up doing superintending and started learning more about building. But see, they did light commercial work and spec homes and what have you. So he didn't know any better. And I think that's one of the key differences is so many people now, they're custom builders. Maybe they do pre-sales, renovations, remodels, that the idea of going into spec building, they already know so much and what the dangers are. Mm-hmm. Dad didn't know any better. Uh <laughs> He just, it, it was kind of bred into him because that's just what he ended up doing. And so, so what, what, so that was late seventies then still at this point, right? It was uh, just a, yeah, 1978 is when he started his company. So this would have been just a few years before that, Okay, that, that he started learning. And what he saw was, uh, Charlie, he was buying too much equipment. So he was getting pretty cash poor Hmm. and dad was getting frustrated by it. And Charlie said, um, well, Tim, you can either stop complaining or or you can leave. And, you know, he left not on bad terms. I asked dad about that and Charlie gave him a going away party and everything. So that's when dad started. So 1978, six spec homes, two kids and uh, Pioneer Builders was born. Pioneer Builders was born. That's yeah. wild. And what were, do you know what interest rates were like back in the 78 to 84 range? You I know, kind of have a sense. Yeah. Uh, that's when Paul Volcker just had to kill the economy to get inflation under control. So the highest lending dad ever paid on construction money was 21%. <laughs> that's like a credit card price. Jeez. Isn't that something? Yeah. And people were taking 30-year mortgages at 15% in some of those years. You know, dad had to get creative. They would buy down rates. There was a lot 
dad's always been creative about putting deals together, mm. not just doing things that are necessarily the conventional route. Yep. But thinking creatively when it comes to finances. That's wild. And and where do you come in? How where do you fit in the age bracket, Brian? You're timeless, dude. I can't tell if you're 30 years old or 50 years old. And I, and I mean Thank that as a you. compliment, not a not a dig. <laughs> yeah, my uh in fact, it's funny. My son thinks what did he say? He thought I was 50 something, 42 and a half. I thought I was older than my sister for crying out loud. Uh, so yeah, 1980 is when I was born. Okay. My brother's older than me. 77 is when he was born. So right in that time period. Gotcha. So I'm just a little older. I'm hitting 50 this year and you're in your, and you're in your low forties. And, yeah. and did you grow up in the business? Were you doing stuff with dad on the job as a, as a little kid or, you know, you how know, much exposure did you have? Yeah, uh, definitely always exposed to it. I remember playing around on like the carpet at the uh, decoration center when I was a little kid crawling around, uh, being on the job site. My brother, who's our lead framer, foundation guy, he was much more of the nail pounder and what have you. Mm -hmm. When I was probably 16 and a half, when I got my license is when I really started working for the company more. Mm -hmm. Never thought I would get into construction, though. you know, I would be digging the ditch, sweeping the houses, cleaning up. And it just was not something that I was interested in, to be honest with you. Yeah. You didn't love it. Didn't love it. No. And I think part of it is I love my dad, but he's not the best teacher. Mm. So I never really understood the why or was told even the what or the how to do things. I Mm. guess the what, but not the how. It was good. Because I had to figure a lot of stuff out on my own, but it would have been a lot easier if I would have understood the how to get something done in a, in a smart way and the why sure. instead of uh, fumbling my way through it. Yeah. Now, now uh, okay, so talk me through post high school. Did you start in the, in the business full time? Did you go to college? What was your path as a, uh, you know, graduate from, from high school? Yeah, and it's actually... Part of the story is within high school. I did Running Start, which is a program. I don't know how broad it is in the United States, but in Washington, you can go for 11th and 12th grade to college and you have to pay for your books, but that's it. The courses are all free. So you get college credits and at the same time, you get to fill out your high school curriculum. So when I graduated high school, I had enough credits to get my associate's degree. I just went to a local community college and uh, ended up getting my associate's degree. And most of the classes I took were electives, very business oriented. Good for you. Um, Accounting 101 through whatever it was, econ 101 and 102, business statistics. I've taken a couple of law classes. So kind of honestly copying what my dad did, not planning on being a builder, necessarily. Mm-hmm. But I'm still doing our accounting. I do our cost accounting payroll every day. I use what I went to school for. That's so awesome. Now, did you, and so, okay, so now you're like 20 years old, you've got your associates. Did you go on for a bachelor's at that point or were you, what'd you end up doing? What I ended up doing is, uh, both Timmy and I were taking old dominion university classes, which was like a remote thing. Mm-hmm. So upper division, um, and then, and, and you know, just, dad, just pause for one second. If you don't know who he's referring to by Timmy, that's Tim Euler that a lot of us know as awesome framers on Instagram. 
Uh, that's your he's your older brother, correct? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he's your older brother. Half years. Got it. So, so these guys are so these guys. I'm talking to you like you're not here. So Brian and Tim are both uh, a part of Pioneer Builders, which their parents started. So Brian and Tim are both second generation builders. And if I can kind of understand the labor breakdown of kind of what you guys do, Brian, you really run the business side of everything that happens. And we're going to get into kind of what your business model is in a minute. And then Tim, you guys self-perform a lot of your work. Uh, and Tim is mainly doing your concrete and your uh, structural framing uh, work in terms of leading the crew that's doing that. And you have several other employees that are hourly folks, I'm assuming, that are actually physically doing that work and it's not getting subbed out. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you got it. You, you nailed it. And we're in kind of a transition because he's about 45. Mm -hmm. So trying to figure that part out. So we get to go through uh, even another transition is what we're in the midst of now. Sure. Makes sense. I didn't mean to cut you off. So keep going now. So, so what no. happens then uh, after old dominion classes? Yeah. We even took some classes together and boy, <laughs> do I have stories, but um, <laughs> dad has, he reinvested his, his money in the company. Okay. So he's got pretty good retained earnings and there was no way I was ever going to be able to buy him out. Like mm. it just, I was never going to have that kind of uh, capital to do that. So I ended up starting my own company mm. and that would have been about 2000, 2001. I don't even remember. And that's when they were giving money out to people who weren't even alive anymore. Like they were just <laughs> giving money out to everybody. Right. But it's hard to remember all of the decisions that went into it. Kind of what we've done as a, a company and a family is analyze the situation before you and try to make the smartest decision there and not get too bogged down with too high level thinking and planning. There's mm -hmm. a place for that. Yep. But there's also the time where what do you need to decide right then and there? So uh, it was an LLC. I ended up adding dad to it and got construction lending, a line of credit built a house and made good profit off of it as a speculative build, meaning you didn't it have was a client a spec build. and you, yep. and you were going to sell it when it was complete. Exactly. Got exactly. It. And, uh, I just looked at the college courses and didn't think it was going to help me any further. Mm -hmm. So I could have gotten a bachelor's or something like that, but just made the decision. I just don't think it's necessary. And I've never, for me personally, I've never regretted it. That's awesome. Uh, I took the classes I needed, I got the skills and the knowledge, and then I was able to go out. So with that company, I was working for both firms and a lot of the work was concurrent. You know, I'm doing payroll for two companies, we're using the same employees, same subcontractors, just a lot of the same work, mm -hmm. splitting myself two different directions. And then the economy decided to completely implode you know 2007 ish 2008 it was real bad it was pretty bad i had a spec sitting that we ended up renting and then eventually it just made sense i'm already working so much for the other company put my eggs in that basket and then eventually we shut down the first company mm -hmm. and you know pulled the equity out of that so that's good at least we had equity and i learned a lot we built right around 25 houses with that company. Wow. Good for you. That's amazing. Yeah. So then since then, it's just been focused on Pioneer Builders. 
So Pioneer Builders is a little different, though. You aren't going to the marketplace like I am saying, hey, come to me, Mr. You know, person who wants to build a custom home. I'd love to build for you. What is your market strategy or what do you guys do as a builder? How do you make money? Yeah, and we have done it that way. We've built lots of customs and lots of pre-sales, but right now we own the land. So we we own it, we build the houses, and then the goal is to sell them. It doesn't always happen. We are pretty much always the top of our market, the highest priced folks around. And occasionally, like we did when the economy uh, wasn't doing so well, we can end up renting them and just hold the rental portfolio, hold those uh, houses in the rental portfolio. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the key differences is we're an asset firm is how I look at us. Okay. Not a service firm. Smart. Uh, if that makes sense. Because totally really as sense. a custom home, I've never you are providing way. a service to a customer, yep. to a client, to the landholder, whatever you want to say. For us, we we are adding value to the earth that's existing. I love it. We're building something on there, and then hopefully we're doing a good job so that we can make the money off of both sides. Hopefully yeah. there's land appreciation, and when you improve the land, it's going to be worth more than just the raw land appreciation if you just held that in a portfolio. And, and tell me about how you mitigate the risk in that, Brian, because I don't know if you've heard my old podcast or heard my story, but uh, I got started. I started my company in 05, when 07, and things got bad in 08, 09. I had a very expensive spec house in the ground with a young company and a inexperienced builder at the helm, i.e. me. <laughs> And I built a house for a lot of money uh, with a lot of debt that all of a sudden was worth nothing. And I didn't have the wherewithal uh, or the capital, frankly, to rent it uh, like sounds like you guys are doing, especially we can get into and I'd like to get into what you and your company are planning for if things do slow down in the market. But but what? how do you guys mitigate that risk of all of a sudden the market bottoms out or – uh, or interest rates go up three, four, five percent, like sort of what's happening now. Yeah, yeah. You have to remember we're like a forty-five-year-old company, so the decision that we can make today, two thousand twenty-two, is going to be different than the decision we could make in nineteen eighty-seven. Yep, yep. So there is no here is the the way to do it, so to speak. But it's that same idea of taking what the variables and factors are before you. And honestly, Matt, recognizing we are subject to the vagaries of the market. Mm-hmm. That's right. We don't know. Yep. But so is everybody else. Yeah. You know, to a degree, we're all in some type of a market. Even mm-hmm. if we're an employee, it's a labor market. Yeah, that's right. Understanding the market is so key. There's a million things that I could... Uh, try to express about it. But I honestly think one of the biggest ones is that I still do our bookkeeping. Yeah. Uh, Dad knew the numbers before he knew how to build. Mm -hmm. He could have worked for any corporation as an accountant. And I could do the same thing. Cost accounting is so critical with construction. I literally was just talking to my brother on a Google uh, meeting. He's over in Switzerland right now. We were talking about lumber costs just this morning or yesterday. I costed out a current project that we're building and was able to talk about, yeah, the lumber's about 70000 The 
161 job was 100K. When you do millions of keystrokes, like literally I have a hunch, my 10 keypad has been just smoking with so many keystrokes. You understand your numbers and you don't have to get together with your financial accountant to review your P&L, you know, you know exactly every quarter. Yeah. Every email that comes in with what the pump cost that I just got, I just put into accounts receivable for 700 and some dollars. But if that would have come in at $1,500, I would have known immediately there's something not right here. Yep. You know, we had four extra yards on a pour. And so Timmy and I were able to talk about that. And, and I think that's a huge key. We know our numbers. Mm -hmm. And then another factor is we strive to make rational decisions on what we put in. Mm -hmm. It's not an expression, honestly, of myself as a person. I do what I think is smart. And what I think is an empathetic way to build with what a buyer would like, mm -hmm. even if they don't know that they would like it. Hmm. Almost no buyer knows what an ERV is. No, for sure. But I am able to walk through with them and explain it to them. And now there's that value add proposition. Yeah. 100%. But I can't watch Instagram and watch this, these beautiful Matt Reisinger's <laughs> Lake Plato designed homes or whatever they are and go, that's what I'm going to do and put it on the market. Yeah. 100%. I have to respect, acknowledge that, but then I have to do what I think will sell in our market. Temper that. How, how much would you credit self-performing to benefiting your bottom line over the years? And for those of you listening to the podcast by self-perform, I mean, instead of hiring a subcontractor as a framer, as a concrete guy, uh, your company, Brian, with Timmy at the helm, has taken on those labor projects and taken on the risk, frankly, of, oh, gosh, we used four more yards than we estimated here. Um, how much would you credit that as uh, towards your company's overall success over the years? Big time, um, especially for those critical path structural items. The amount of money that concrete companies are charging right now is absolutely astronomical. Um, but really to be able to control our schedule and getting those foundation things done right, concrete is a high stakes game. For sure. And, and to sub it out, if you're gonna pay, if you're gonna hire somebody competent, you're gonna pay for it. Yep. So that's a big part of it, controlling that whole process. But yeah, that's that's been pretty key for us. But we have subbed out houses plenty of times in the past, too. Sure, I could imagine but, you had. But we try not to. Uh, I was telling you this before the podcast, but for the listeners, I had a, a buddy when I worked in Portland, Oregon, and this is now 20 years ago, who owned a roofing company. I can't remember his last name, Jim, uh, Jim Fisher Roofing in Portland, Oregon. It's probably still around. He sold the company. He's been retired for a long time now, but Jim was one of the few builders that I knew who actually was really a subcontractor, a roofer, but he was one of the few people I knew that would self-perform a project with his crews and would do most of the construction, I would say, with the exception of the licensed trades. And so Jim had, I don't know, probably 30 or 40 guys on his paid hourly staff of roofers. And if they were off a job because of rain for two days, those guys were working on one of Jim's projects and Jim kind of always seemed to have one or two houses under construction. And he made sure that the guys knew they weren't just roofers. They were framers. They were concrete guys. 
they need to know all the phases. I think they did interior trim. They probably built cabinets for all I knew. They were super multi-talented. Now, these weren't like high-end custom homes. What Jim was doing was he was building them to rent, uh, so they were more modest projects. I'm sure the cabinets came from a big box store and were really basic uba-tuba granite or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Jim was really smart about, hey, anytime I've got some guys available, I'm going to use them on my projects. And so he ended up self-performing probably 70%, I suspect, of a new build. And uh, Jim would hold these houses for a long period of time. I suspect when he retired, he might have had as many as 50 or 75 homes that he had built. And maybe he sold them. I don't know the end of the story. I should follow up with Jim and see how he's doing. It's been a decade since I've talked to him. But I thought it was so smart for him. And he would tell me that he was building these houses for way under market. And so then he had, you know, a very small amount of construction cost into them that he could get good rents on. And in fact, a lot of them he rented to people that worked for him. So he knew that mm. they were going to pay the rent as well. And I thought that was such a smart idea. Any advice for you that you could give, Brian, for listeners, young builders or old builders that are thinking about uh, maybe jumping into the speculative build game as we think about self-perform and as we think about uh, market changes and risk management? Yeah. What dad did when he first started was he actually was bags on framing. And then at nighttime, he would be doing his books. Wow. So he always made a wage. He paid himself a wage. Mm -hmm. And he was also humble enough to work with somebody who was a good carpenter who knew how to build. Dad never cared if he was to this day. He does. It doesn't matter who's in charge. There's mm -hmm. just a job to be done. That's cool. So he didn't throw his weight around. He just followed instructions. I'm pretty sure I've seen your dad on your Instagram feed sweeping or doing yep. other uh, other tasks on the job site, haven't I? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully I can instill that same thing in, in my kids as well. It's just the value of hard work, the value of hard work. But if you pay yourself a wage, you know, you're going to be able to pay your rent mm -hmm. and be able to bring money or uh, bring put food on the table. Yep, that's right. But when you do your estimating, you can estimate, depending on how you want to do it, what it would cost to sub your house out. Mm -hmm. And then you should be charging a markup on that. Yep. So the more things that you self-perform, you basically become a subcontractor and you can figure that that's one of the key differences. You know, I think, Matt, you're still a cost plus builder. I am. Yep. Uh, we are much more of a market value builder. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't really necessarily matter what we put into the house. What ultimately matters is what we can sell it. For. All right. What do the market pay for it? That's yeah. it. Which I and think we is, have to be able to communicate that. Which I think is so smart because you go into it knowing, hey, if the market's great and we're going to be able to really make a, what we consider a, a good profit on this, we're going to sell it. And I can't remember if we've already said this or if this was prior to the podcast starting, but with the market changing and maybe uh, we're seeing a softening in prices or rising of interest rates, you were prepared long before today that we could rent this and we've got the financing in place. We've got what we need uh, if, if a conversion is needed from a construction loan to a, a permanent financing. And my suspicion is you're just a couple years younger than me, uh, uh, is you've lived through enough cycles now that you can go, all right, the market's not always going to be bad, right? 
Uh, and f- the same is true with about a good market. It's not always going to be good. So if we can hold this and rent it, we'll get a one, two, three-year, maybe five-year rental out of it, whatever it takes. The market will come back, uh, and then maybe we'll sell it in three to five years. Is the, Am I assuming that correctly? You're, you're 100% right, and that's where knowing the numbers intimately helps. So we're in exactly that spot where we've got a house. It's at the top of the market. And uh, one thing I do is I get different Zillow uh, emails that tell me what's going on. Prices or houses that are listed when there's Mm. price reductions. I have seen so much slashing of prices for about five to six weeks, you know, at the time we're recording this. Interesting. This is early August we're recording, by the way. Yeah. So I got a text from dad uh, maybe a month ago. He's like, what do you think about renting this particular house? And rattled it around. And so we got it on the market for rent as well. If it sells, great. If it rents, you end up getting your uh, your rental income. Mm-hmm. As you say, the value, even with sto- stocks, the the price might be dropped, but you only take a loss if you sell it at that lower price. That's right. The price might be up, but you only get the upside if you sell it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter for us right now what the market is dictating unless we actually close, you know, and run it through escrow and all of that. That's right. By the time it gets sold, if we rent it, we'll have gotten depreciation expense. So that might have helped with taxes. Mm-hmm. Might have to recapture it, but because of inflation, that depreciation expense might be in our favor with the recapturing. Um, and then what our long-term capital gains would be would potentially be different than our being taxed ordinary income. There, there's been a little Super bit of smart. a change with that. Um, but anyway, that's part of the equation too, is your tax burden and what your your tax bracket is at. Yeah. So, man, Brian, I wish that the Matt Reisinger of 2007 would have known you and your dad uh, my brief story, if you don't know it, or for those of you listening, don't know it. Uh, I started a house before the market went south in Austin, Texas in end of 06, early 07. I had assumed that the house would sell for about 1.2 million, that is. Uh, and I put a million dollars into it, including, uh, uh, some money from an investor that I brought on about 300 K from an investor. Cause I actually bought a, a lot next door to assuming I'd do a second speculative build. And long story short, the market was terrible. I had a hard time making my payments while the house was sitting on the market for almost two and a half, maybe three years before I sold it. And I took up basically a lowball offer of 750 or 725, which left me 300K in debt uh, to my investor, uh, which I finally paid off about six years later. Uh, I called it Chuck, my employee that I couldn't fire. It was my $6,500 payment every month to my uh, to my investor uh, that eventually I paid it off, but it was incredibly painful. I had a hard time paying myself during those years because I was paying this giant payment uh, on interest that are, you know, on, on a loan that for nothing at that point, the, the real estate asset was gone. And that house today in Austin, Texas, if it were to resell, was probably two and a half plus million. And had I held on, got a renter right away, I easily could have sold that house when the market came back in 2012, 13, 14 for that 1.2. Uh, 
And had I held it a few more years, I could have sold it for 2.2 or more. Like I said, that house is probably 2.5 today. So your story is incredibly interesting, but I do want to be cautious for those listeners that speculative building is not for the faint of heart. Uh, Brian and his team, you know, his family, they've been doing this for four decades. Uh, They have the capital to do it. Uh, They have the smarts to do it. They've lived through the down cycles. Uh, Don't just take this podcast to mean you should start building spec houses. But I think that there are certainly some takeaways in terms of self-performance. And the other thing that Brian touched on lightly that I want to touch on with you, Brian, again, and mention is you mentioned how frugal your dad is. Uh, I I see that frugality uh, as being smart. And when you mentioned that you don't build a house like I do with some Shishugiban siding with a Lake Flato design, that's not being frugal. That's being smart. Uh, you know, you're putting Hardy siding on or LP siding on. <laughs> you know, you're using really good high performance. I've seen you do absolute phenomenal zip 2.0 details with your Huber zip system sheathing. You're you're installing fantastic HVAC systems with fresh air. You're really um, building a fantastic house that I suspect is in the top 1% of performance uh, of houses being built today. You're doing that at a market rate, but you're doing it in a wise fashion that's not overbuilding or not being too flashy. The houses that I've seen that you guys build aren't modest per se, but they're not flashy. Uh, and you're being really smart about the materials and the methods. And so I want to I want to say to you, Brian, that that uh, as you continue shooting videos of Build Show Network, I'd love to see you uh, not be shy about delving into the financial side of what you do and, you know, kind of what you've learned. Because I didn't realize your dad had that finance background, but the little that I knew of you before before I got to know you really well, I'd say, let's say, one to two years ago when we really started talking at IBS, I had this real sense that you were really smart on the financial side of the business. You're kind of a young David Gerstel, if you know who that is. Uh, you should get his books if you don't know who he is. Uh, his most famous book is probably Nail the Numbers. Um, but I'm really, really impressed by you, Brian, and your business acumen. And we need to remember as builders, it's not just craftsmanship. Craftsmanship's great, but if you go out of business, your craftsmanship will also go <laughs> go away. And so we need to make sure that we're really smart about how we do things in our business as well as how we do things in the field. Um, gosh, I'm I'm uh, I'm coming up on like 35 minutes, Brian, and I want to be cautious about your time because I know you got uh, probably payroll to run because tomorrow's Friday and you've got things to go. Um, Talk to me, Brian, real quick uh, in this last couple of minutes about what you've been shooting on Build Show Network and what you've got in, in the hopper the, for the future for videos. Um, as far as what we've been shooting lately, the nice thing is because we're building so many houses at various phases, it's kind of like we always have content <laughs> that so we're going to awesome. end up having to be able to use. So we, we did a couple of them uh, that was on some exterior cladding. Uh, a couple of different rain screen type that situations really cool. that we did. That was really cool. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to be filming on locating a sanitary sewer point of connection. Love it. So uh, maybe my current favorite part of construction right now is site work. We've got an excavator. And if I, if I could, literally, I would just go out and become an excavator. <laughs> it's so much fun. But there, this particular one, there's been a lot to get to this point. 
And so that's kind of more the civil site work side of construction. So we'll be covering that. If I could suggest a video, I don't know if you're open for suggestions, but I'd love to see you uh, spend a minute talking to the audience slash me about uh, that breaking point of renting equipment, owning equipment, or subcontracting somebody who owns that equipment and how you figure out those numbers and what you've decided on that in, in your business, you know, whether that's trucks and vans, uh, whether that's tools, whether that's, you know, heavy equipment like your excavator. I'd love to have you kind of break down those and maybe what you've done in the past and here's where we are currently. That'd be super awesome to, to learn about. Sure. Sure. Yeah. We just rented a, a brush mower, so could go into that. That'd yeah. Like I say, there, there's always something current that we can talk about. On the business side, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around what to talk about from that. Um, I think I'll probably show you guys what we use as far as estimating a house is concerned. That'd be awesome. Um, yeah, that. some of those different factors. So some of the things from the computer. Um, yeah. That'd be awesome. Brian, I am so thankful to have you shooting on Bilger Network and sharing your knowledge because, you know, the beauty of our business is you'll never learn it all. Even your dad in his 70s, I suspect, still comes to work and goes, man, these little whippersnapper kids of mine, I'm learning stuff from them all the, t- all the time. And that's what's so fun about our industry is that, you know, there's old guys with gray hair that are learning from the young guys and, of course, vice versa. Uh, but you, as a early 40s builder, uh, having grown up in the industry, uh, been doing it so long, gosh, you just have a lot of wisdom. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're sharing that over on Build Show Network. So guys, if you're not familiar, buildshownetwork.com is our website. Hit the experts tab. And as you drop that down, you'll see Brian Euler on there. Go check out Brian's videos, his story on there. And uh, Brian's also shooting videos nearly every day from his job sites uh, over on Instagram which is at Pioneer Builders, right? I get those correct? Pioneer Builders, Inc. Pioneer Builders, Inc. Thank you. Uh, At Pioneer Builders, Inc. on Instagram. Any final thoughts, Brian? No, I just thank you for letting me be a part of it. Someday maybe I'll tell you the whole how I first came to know Matt Reisinger and the influence, but thank you for all that you've done for the industry and for me personally. Oh, you're leaving me with bated breath. You got to answer that real quick. We got to get one extra minute. I want to hear this story, Brian. So I was going to be on a podcast, which I probably still will be, um, Bill Spohn, uh, mechanical engineer. Uh-huh. And so I finally just took the time, like, how did I first find out about Matt? Because, you know, we talked at the Builder Show. Uh-huh. Um, we've had a couple of online meetings. You know, you and I at the beginning of uh, COVID, we yep. did a, a webinar. Yeah, that's right. Like, Okay, so I I had to get into my my history on YouTube, my watch history, <laughs> and scroll back for years, and it went back to like uh, I don't know 2018 ish. I don't remember, and I found the first video that I had watched, and I must have Googled something and found your video. That's so funny. And then there was a span of time where there wasn't really any any Reisinger watching, <laughs> and then it slowly started getting closer and closer. And then eventually when I was at my office, I would just have your videos up and I played pretty much every one of them. I would be second screening. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that it's brought me up to date and I'm still subscribed to your channel, but that helped me get involved with uh, Christoph Irwin. Oh man, he's His awesome. podcast, the amount of knowledge and learning. So this is my way to say thank you for man, what I- you've done. 
I appreciate that, dude. Very, very kind of you. Very. I'm always humbled to hear that people have watched a lot of my videos. It's it's a uh, it's a unique position to hear that people are listening to what uh, you've got to say. And like you, I think we're both natural educators, uh, and we want to share. We want to see people be successful. We also want to see people not make the same mistakes that we've made. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I think the thing that's made us both successful and will continue to make Build Show Network successful is to always think, you know, what would Matt Reisinger want to know 10 years ago? What would Brian Euler want to know five, 10 years ago? And when you make a video tomorrow about your sewer connections, uh, think about teaching young Brian on the job what he needs to know. Or in your, my case, we have young boys, young girls. Teach them what they need to know from that perspective of that wiser, older builder. And I guarantee you the 60-year-old builder is going to learn something as well as the 25-year-old builder. That's been the secret of our success. Yes, we we charge money for videos. We do sponsorships. We've got uh, you know all these folks that are a part of it. But we also only work with companies we like and make good products. We don't put junk in our houses. Uh, and we truly believe that this rising tide will float all boats. Uh, and we want to see builders in America build to a higher standard. I also want to hear about your brother's trip to Switzerland because uh, they build very differently over there. Uh, and in Europe, they're used to seeing buildings that are, uh, you know, 100 to 700 years old. And so they have a very different perspective than we do uh, in America, where there's a new grocery store going up every week and that far off reach of uh, the edge of town and things just aren't uh, that old for us at least for me here in Texas anyways all right we're going long Brian you're awesome dude I really appreciate it at Pioneer Builders Inc on Instagram and buildshownetwork.com Brian you're awesome man really appreciate the time uh, if you're not currently a subscriber to the podcast we're available on all the major networks all the kind of the podcast locations you can also watch the podcast. If you want to see Brian and I's smiling faces, uh, you're not listening to this because we're handsome. Uh, but if you want to see our dorky faces and learn from us on the video version, you certainly can. Uh, that's over on buildshownetwork.com where we publish the video version of the podcast. Guys, follow us on uh, TikTok or Instagram. Otherwise, we'll see you next time on Build Show Podcast. <laughs>